But when I picked my favorite song, it was between this and another one, and I had a very tough time choosing. But Gabby, you don't like it. I'm sorry. I need to correct my statement. I was reading my notes for the next track. Oh. It's the next <laughs> okay, track I, I don't like. like. Hi, and welcome to Minor Notes, the podcast where we share our thoughts about an album from top to bottom. No skips, and we give some minor notes. That is Kate Griffin. And that is Gabby Alvarez. Welcome. If you're new here, Gabby is a music business professional, and I'm a songwriter, and this entire second season of Minor Notes is dedicated to the discography of Foo Fighters. Today, we're going to be continuing our discussion around the band's fifth album, In Your Honor, focusing on the second disc, and we are joined by Errol Arney. He's the host of the blog Errol's Weekly Music Update. And Errol, I found your post from September 2020 called Albums That Changed My Life. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, uh, the In Your Honor Disc 2. I kind of cheated a little bit because, you know, most people would say, well, it was a double album. But once I put on the second disc, uh, definitely it changed my life forever. Wow. Yeah. So were you a Foo fan before this album or was this kind of the album that ignited that for you? I've been a Foo fan since the very beginning. Um, I have followed their career, uh, unfortunately, since, you know, the dissolve of uh, Kurt Cobain and mm. and that band. So right, right. And I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Nirvana, which I know is sacrilegious uh, to say. Um, and at first, I didn't realize that it was, you know, Dave Grohl. <laughs> mm. You know, being the guitarist, when they said the member of uh, Nirvana was playing, I figured it was the the tall bass guitarist, not realizing that mm. right. the drummer had become a guitar player. Yeah, yeah. right, right. So and don't I've, feel don't feel too bad. I'm not a very big Nirvana fan either, to be honest. So, I, I acknowledge <laughs> their importance, uh, and I absolutely remember when they just they tore out all the hair bands on MTV in one fell swoop. It, it was yeah. Nirvana and the end of everything else. Yeah, I'm obligated to be a Nirvana fan because I live in Seattle now. So. <laughs> They don't give you a choice there. No choice. (laughs) No choice. Yeah. My favorite Seattle band is uh, Soundgarden. Oh, Oh, nice. Also good. Uh, Very good. That's a very... Named after a real place. There's a Soundgarden park here. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Did not know that either. Now you know. Now you know. Um, All right. Let's jump into it. So we're going to be discussing the second half of In Your Honor. Yes. Uh, It was released on June 14th, 2005 on Roswell Records via RCA. The album was recorded in Los Angeles. And this second half features all of the guests on this album. So John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin is on here. Nora Jones and Josh Holm of Queens of the Stone Age. And the whole second half of this album is completely acoustic. Well, for the most part. Kate, do you have some more here? Just a little bit of history. Uh, We gave most of this history on the previous episode, but this portion of the album was recorded first. They did the acoustic album first and then the electric. It was recorded in just two and a half weeks, so they didn't spend a lot of time on it. Grohl has uh, stated that it was a decisive moment in making this a double album, and he had that moment when he uploaded all the demos to his computer and realized he had five hours of music. Um, So he said, you know, we've been a band for 10 years. 
this is our fifth record. I thought it would be boring to just keep making album after album and videos and festivals, so I wanted to do something special. He thinks that, quote, making this record revitalized the band. The, the acoustic songs in particular, he says it made things scary again. And when you do something that you've never done before, it makes you feel like a bigger band. He also saw the acoustic disc as an opportunity. Um, and he says, the acoustic tracks we wrote in the past eight or nine years, we had them, but we never put them on albums because they never seemed to fit. You know, he was saying it's hard to put an acoustic song in the middle of a rock record because it's like kind of awkward. So he was very excited about this opportunity. Um, and then to your point, Gabby, we have a whole bunch of features, which we'll get into. And some of these features actually became part of the uh, regular touring band. So they kind of met on this record. And there's a couple people, I'll point them out when we get to them, who now tour with Foo Fighters regularly. So that's kind of cool. Nice. That's pretty yeah. rad. So let's jump in. For the most part, the credits are written by the Foo Fighters and produced by Nick, I still can't say his name. Yes. Raskulinex. Good. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there are some, uh, we'll point out the features and any other uh, interesting tidbits on any of the other songs, but for the most part, those are the credits. Um, so let's dive in. Track 11, Still. Okay, so I'll go first. So the notes I have for Still, one of the features, and this is someone who became a regular part of the touring band, uh, I believe you say it, Rami Jaffe. He plays keyboards. Mm -hmm. um, so he's with them all the time now. He's even featured in like the band press photos now. I noticed him fairly recently. Oh, cool. I was like, who's that guy? And it's this guy. Uh, so he plays keyboards on this. So my initial thoughts about Still, I was super thrown off with the whole atmospheric change. And that is him, the keyboards. I didn't know what to think about it. I do think Dave's voice sounds amazing on this. I think the melody in the verse is way more catchy than the melody in the chorus. From Foo Archive, I have a quote from Dave that says, Still is probably the first song I ever wrote that comes close to any sort of storytelling. It's about my being a kid, going to the lake by my house on a Saturday afternoon and seeing all these ambulances and fire trucks because someone decided to kill himself by sitting on the train tracks. When you're a child, you're so naive, you have no idea what's really going on, and you start to explore and find yourself playing with pieces of the dot 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 I don't I don't know where it went from there and then he says it's a pretty gory story actually but it happened um I read through the lyrics I don't I don't see any of that at all that's certainly I don't see that at all <laughs> it kind of freaked me out to read that I was like this is so bizarre but I will say that I do think the lyrics do have kind of like a like a haunting dreamlike quality especially at the end so maybe that's where he's pulling from uh but my final note on this one was I don't Having heard the rest of the record, I don't think this was a good opener at all. I don't know why they chose this as the opener. Um, it does signify like a complete sonic shift, but it certainly was not among my favorite on this album. So I just thought it was a weird, I don't know, weird choice yeah, for me. Yeah, a weird choice. Yeah. Errol, what about you? What does this song do for you? I, you know, for me, from my point of view, there's not one negative comment on any song on this album. Um, <laughs> okay. It is, to me, it's just, it's brilliant. Um, I think the thing you, was mentioned at the beginning of the uh, narration was that um, it was includes John Paul Jones, mm -hmm. and you know Dave's favorite Led Zeppelin album is also mine. It's Physical Graffiti, and basically right. what he was trying to say that there was a there was a roundness to Led Zeppelin that most people didn't appreciate, and the Physical Graffiti album was that it was a double album that included heavy songs soft songs 
And I think the way they uh, created this in your honor is mm. the evidence right there. We all knew that Dave could sing on prior albums, but I think this second yeah. disc solidifies that statement. I like the beauty of the acoustic guitar, the way it starts off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my favorite lyrics, which you mentioned, if you'd like to take a walk, we could waste a day. Follow me into the trees, I will lead the way. It, it kind of takes me back to my childhood years. Dave and I are about the same age, just about, you know, preteen or early teens when you and your friends had all the time in the world and there was, mm. there was time to waste in a day. And as we grow older, we realize that life goes so fast and once your career begins, there's no more nothing to do days. That becomes a distant memory. Right. So this kind of brought me back to spending my summers in Owensville, New York with my grandparents where there was a lot of trees. Um, yeah. Mm. There was, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, New York, a lot of concrete. And we would take these trails through the woods. And you know, we actually ended up on the train tracks huh. where we had to be very careful. And, you know, we didn't come ever come up upon a dead body um, right. but I think this movie is be very kind of stand like, by me yes yeah, yeah, very stand by, stand me. by <laughs> me in 1986 where they yeah. find a dead body right you know and up until this point in 2005 my constant experiences with Dave were just fuel injected I mean sure yeah like a rock and show it was yeah. a rock and show and just a year earlier he had done a heavy metal project called Probot. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Where he paid—I didn't know that. Yeah, he paid homage to his uh, heavy metal heroes, and I think it took him three years. The late Lemmy, uh, Ian Kilmister of Motorhead, um, and they did Shake Your Blood, and then he used uh, other heroes: Kronos from Venom, King Diamond, uh, Snake from The Void, and Kim Thale from Soundgarden, who I huh. often feel is under appreciated as a lead guitarist. Sure. So mm. to go from Probot and then the following year you're doing In Your Honor, it, it, just, it just blew me away. Yeah, and that's kind of crazy transition. Yeah. His love of music is just, it goes across all genres and that's what I love about him the most. We've talked about that a lot on here and the more of, as, we, as we've gone through this exercise of listening to the Foo Fighters catalog, you really hear how expansive his taste is mm. and like he's really good at bringing in other elements from other genres as like inspirational touch points and like you know it doesn't necessarily sound like just a rock song if you're really listening mm. right i think i agree more with errol here i really like this song i wow okay but i didn't when i started listening to the back half i started with this track i didn't like transition from the from the the first 10 songs to here so I, rock. Okay. yeah so i don't know if maybe that's why it was less jarring for me okay but i thought it was really strong i'm a big fan of like building up some sonics to take you sure. somewhere and there was a little bit of that we didn't necessarily go somewhere but there's like some snare drum tapping that starts happening and like mm -hmm. even something as little as that i felt like added more to the song and it, i don't know who it reminds me of but i i wrote no doubt question mark maybe like an acoustic slow huh. song of no doubts there was just something about the guitar picking that I, I, and I don't know if I'm right. Like, I think I have to go back and figure out who I'm talking about. But that was a note I had. Wow. That's really interesting. All right. Track 12. What if I do? Track two. 
Track, track two. Oh, yeah, track two. Oh, well, right. I guess 12. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. I hear. Two 12. Um, okay, so what if I do... Yeah. <laughs> what if I do also featuring Rami Jaffe on keyboard? I thought this was melodically really pretty. The vocal melody is really great. I really love the guitar part on the verses. There's this awesome picking thing going on. The pattern's just beautiful. I do, again, feel like the melody in the verse on this one is definitely catchier than the melody on the chorus. Personally, Errol, I'm a very big lyric person. I like really like to read into them and try to investigate. I was a little bit turned off by these lyrics just because it started to feel like a Christian rock song. Um, and it was kind of losing me with the Lord and stuff. But mm-hmm. then I looked it up and according to Foo Archive, he says, quote, this is an ode to North Carolina. I lived there from 91 to 2002 on the coast where... Uh, There were these beautiful sand dunes. It's to do with finding yourself by disappearing. And I thought that phrase was really cool, finding yourself by disappearing. If I went through and listened again with that intent, I might feel differently about it. But my first pass with like the oh Lord stuff, I was like, "Uh uh-oh. What's happening? Yeah, I didn't know. You have an aversion to any time Lord or God is mentioned. Ever. <laughs> any any religious song <laughs> just kind of throw me for a loop. I'm like, what are we? What are we doing here? So again, not a favorite. I think I like it better than Still, but I was like, where are we going? Like, mm. I, I was a little scared about this acoustic journey at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Errol, yeah. what'd you think? We know you love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. And I think this is uh, my favorite song on the album. Really? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, this is my favorite track. I did a top 10 Foo Fighters earlier on my website um, in January, and this ended up at number three. Wow. And it's number one from this album. And j- like you mentioned, the flow and the melody is just stellar to me. Yeah. I, I'm not, I, I, as I grow older, I kind of look at the lyrics um, and maybe read into them. I was more of a music first mm-hmm. fan, which got me into a lot of trouble with my parents because I listened to really heavy stuff. Sure. <laughs> so it was really the noise that, you know, kind of blew them out of the water. Right. And then when you look at the vocals, uh, I think for me, I, I think he's trying to make the transition from a special friend to maybe the love of his life. That's the way mm. I looked at it. Wow. You know, I'd, I'd have to lose everything just to find you. Mm. And then in verse two, when he starts with, it's my turn, this soul won't burn me, so throw me in. It says to me that he's willing to take, take a chance on Carolina because of his prior relationships where things did not go too well. Mm. So we could pave new roads with the cold, their cold gravestones. It's a bit harsh, but I think he's trying to convince that someone special will take a chance on him. Wow. Okay. Very I nice. Like this nice dissection. interpretation. Yeah. I got to say, there was something, of, I'm so sorry, Errol, but there was something about this song <laughs> that I checked out. Oh, no. Okay. I think as a rule for me, it's incredibly bold to make an entirely acoustic track over five minutes. It's just bold. And uh, what I liked about Still is it built and it went somewhere instrumentally, which is Mm -hmm. kind of what I'm listening to first when I'm listening to an acoustic song. Then I go back for lyrics. This song instrumentally gave me no reason to go back. (laughs) This went nowhere. I'm bored after five minutes. I'm not going to listen to it again to try and dissect it. So that's where I'm at. I'm real sorry about it. Wow. All over the board here with this one. Okay. Listen, this is why we do it. This is why we do it. Yes. Okay. Um, Track three or 13, depending on what scorecard you're using. Uh, Miracle. 
Okay, Miracle, this one is featuring John Paul Jones on piano and also Petra Hayden on violin. And Petra is another member who is now part of the touring ensemble. So she met them here and then she's been with them since. This song to me was the most foo at this point. As soon as the song started, I was like, oh, there they are. Like this is the Foo Fighters I'm familiar with, just acoustic. Mm. I think this could easily translate to like an electric plugged in song. I meant to look and see if they'd ever done it, but I didn't, I forgot to do that. Personally, I think this this might have been a stronger opener. It's still soft and beautiful, but I think like the typical Foo fan might have been a little bit less thrown and been like, okay, this is familiar. And then if you want to throw still and the other one in later as like experimentation, that's just my personal opinion. Um, I think it's super beautiful. It's a really easy listen. And then a quote from Dave from Foo Archive. He says, I'm a huge Zeppelin fan. John Paul Jones is more than just a bass player. He's an arranger, a composer. He came in, he listened to the song, he put it on piano, played it a few times and was done. So it sounds like it didn't take very long, and they both got along really well, so. Sounds super profesh. Yeah, oh yeah, super profesh. (laughs) Did he write about this in the the memoir? I feel like he did write about when he wrote. He definitely mentioned, yeah, 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 he definitely mentioned him, for sure. I thought so. Uh, Errol, what are your thoughts? Um, Huge fan, again, and one of the reasons, as mentioned, is John Paul Jones. Mm. I mean, having to work with a legend, uh, you know, had to be a dream come true for him. Eventually, he gets together with uh, Josh Hom and they form Queens of the Stone Age, mm-hmm. you know, th- and then they form the them Cricket Vultures, where Dave is a drummer. And the weird thing is, Josh plays drums in his other band, the Eagles of Death Metal. So, oh right, it's it's amazing how they switch things up. I, um, so I find that really interesting. I think the words that really hit me is when he says, "Everything that we survived, it's going to be all right." Just lucky we're alive, got no vision, I've been blind. Mm. I don't know for sure, but I think I would say these lyrics are meant for his wife, Jordan Blum, and they were married in August 2003. And then when it gets to the, the chorus, the hands on a miracle, I got my hands on a miracle. I personally think it, to my bride, um, I had a really tough breakup prior to meeting my wife. Mm. My, my mother would call my best friend and say, John, you need to take him out. Oh. You have to get him out of the house. Uh, you know, we would go out every weekend. That's such a Brooklyn mom thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in walks, you know, the miracle of my bride, Cindy. And, uh, I made a concerted effort to become friends with my next partner. Yeah. And our first date was actually a Def Leppard concert. Oh, wow. wow. Nice. Cindy yeah. sounds cool so as hell. We, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We had to, we had a long time getting to know each other because she lived in Amityville. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, we met and drove to Brooklyn, drove to New Jersey to back then it was the Brendan Byrne mm. and then drove all the way back home to Amityville. So wow. that first night um it, it was something special and I think you know miracle would apply that I would apply that to me. That's yeah. the way I took it personally. Yeah. I like yeah. that. That's wow, wonderful. That's so nice. I like this song. Good. <laughs> Good. At first I didn't. I wrote, Do I hate the Foo Fighters now? What is happening? Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> but then the violins and the strings came in and that is how you hook Gabby. 
I was going to say, but we learned that on the Taylor Swift season. You love Listen, a good set of strings. You add yeah. strings or you add banjo or you add a horn oh, section that, and it's right. not immediate. You like, it comes, you know, yeah. uh, halfway through. I was like, oh, I'm in. Like, I get it. Like, it took it. I feel like it really elevated this song to another level. Mm. And it definitely, like, to me, I, I took away the same thing, Errol. I was like, oh, this is definitely a love song. Like, this is an ode to someone that that you care about. And I think... As I was realizing that is when the strings kind of came in and it just like brought it, I think, all together. It made it really pretty. I really like this nice. song. This is my favorite so far. So far. So far. Ah, so, so far. far. Um, nice. All right. Track 14 or four. Another round. <laughs> another round. Uh, this time it is. This one also features John Paul Jones, but he's on the mandolin. And uh, we've got our keyboardist, Rami Jaffe, again. I love this song. Right off the bat, as soon as it started, I was like, oh my God, I love this so much. Both the verse and the chorus are melodically unique, but catchy, and they fit together so well. I love the time change. I love a waltz, a 3-4 pattern is just... I'm in 100%. I think this song in particular is an example of superior songwriting. We've mentioned this on previous episodes before. The first time I listened to it, it made me think of all the big hits off of The Color and the Shape, right? Like My Hero and Everlong. Like there was something about the arrangement of it where I was kind of in that headspace. Um, I think the harmonica and the accordion that come in are just so nice, like all these nice little touches. And then I looked up under a different website, Song Meetings, and a fan had said that in an interview, Dave was quoted as saying, this song was written around the time of the second album. It was written maybe eight years ago, oh. and I just never really had a place for it on any other records. So after I read that, I felt super validated when I was like, why am I thinking of the color and the shape? Like, there was something yeah. about it. Like, I just kept going there. But it was written around the time of those songs, which to me makes sense why well, I love it so much, because so far, that's my favorite record we've listened to. Yeah. So, yeah. But love this one. Love it so much. Uh, Errol, what about you? Yeah, another solid tune. I mean, the opening lines uh, paints a clear picture for a husband, boyfriend, or partner running for the running for cover. Mm. <laughs> so other half is like having a moment, right. whether it be you know personal between them or family or maybe even world issues. Yeah. Um, here again, I think Dave just showcases one of his endless talents with his vocal prowess yeah. on this tune. And like you said, when the harmonica kicks in, I would say to myself. Is this really the Foo Fighters? Yeah. Mm. Right? Yeah. And yes, it is. And that's one of the many things I love about this band. They're unafraid to take chances in any arena. Mm. At the end of the day, I, this song seems to say that no matter what, whatever's laid at our feet, we'll get through this together as a team. It seems like they have each other's back because of the love for each other. Um, mm. And I, di I don't know if I mentioned, but I did get to see them at the Beacon Theater on this tour. Oh, nice. Um, the acoustic tour. Oh, cool. Uh, Monday night, which I'm not a big fan of Monday night concerts, <laughs> but it, it was the Foo Fighters. And got to go. When I, I got to yeah. go. When I received the tickets and it said, you know, row double A. So my automatic assumption was I'm sitting in the back of orchestra. And oh, wow. The attendant takes the ticket and he keeps walking and he's going to the front. And I'm saying, oh, my God, I'm in the front <laughs> row. I'm like Bob Euchre, if you get that reference. Yeah. I'm in the front row. And I'm sitting by myself next, right in the front row where I can actually see Whoa. see Dave sweat pouring. <laughs> oh my god! And just like when you're on a plane, right? If you if you sit in first class, it is an experience that yeah. you'll never forget. 
you know, my mantra has always been as long as I'm in the building. Right. But if you're sitting in the front row, it changes things. So wow. um, to get to see them perform this song, you know, live was incredible. That's awesome. Wow. Oh, what an experience. I'm so jealous. As long as you're in the building. I'm <laughs> such a bougie bitch. I'm like, only if I'm in VIP. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm at the point now where I'm only going to go if I can sit. If I can't sit down, I'll sit in the back, but I just need to sit. I feel, I I that, I feel that too. <laughs> and that's funny because I always stand. I, oh. I get upset when people don't stand. And the first time I saw the Foo Fighters when they headlined Madison Square Garden, yeah. there was nobody in their seats. No, yeah. Oh, no, oh, yeah. no I bet. Yeah. I bet. Yeah, I think for me it depends on the show and what kind of music we're watching and what kind of show they're putting on. Like, I saw Paul McCartney a month or two ago, and he played for almost three hours, and, like, that's a stand-on-your-feet show. Like, he wow. he's, like, yeah. really rocking. But then I've seen, like, other folks where I'm just like, I could, I'll just sit. Right. I'll be fine. <laughs> I need a break. I need a break. And I, I'll get... I'll give you a little tidbit, and you may know this, but McCartney plays drums on Sunday morning uh, for Concrete and Gold. Oh, really? Oh, we haven't yeah. gotten there yet. That's so exciting. That's exciting, Sir Paul. <laughs> he he was the drummer. Taylor was the singer. Wow. And uh, Dave was the guitarist. Cause, uh, that is so cool. That's awesome. In his memoir, he became good friends with McCartney. Yeah, yes. that's something yes, he yes. talks yeah. about a lot. Yeah. Well, I really liked Another Round. I liked this song a lot. Um, yeah. I thought his voice sounded spectacular on this song. Mm-hmm. Just like in order by the time I got to this as the fourth track, I was like, oh, wow. Like it just sounded like crisp. I, I don't yes. know if they put maybe less reverb on him or something, but I felt like he was right here singing. And I also, I love the buildup again. Like what once the harmonica comes in, once the drums come in, like the song just kind of morphs into something else. Sure. But yeah, I really appreciated it. I really like this one. On your, on your note about vocals, and I have another song coming up where I think his voice sounds the best I've ever heard it. When he records you know, live rock band. He does a lot of doubles on the vocal and we're recording RLP now. So we've been messing around with different ways to do doubles. And he kind of does doubles like a little bit sloppy where they don't line up perfectly and the levels are a little, so so it always sounds like echoey. But I noticed on a lot of these, there's no double at all. Like it's him and it's clean and it's clear and it's super impressive because a lot of times you double to like bring it up just to like reinforce it and he doesn't need it. He doesn't he need the double a really all the time. strong voice, and I think it's just really interesting because from up until this point, for most of the Foo Fighters, he does he's not necessarily leaning into like his vocal ability. His ability, yeah. It's more I agree. of like this is a rock experience, but like dude can sing. He's got such a great voice. He really does. All right, track fifteen, friend of a friend. Okay, so this one I had Grohl credited as the solo writer. All the rest of these, or I think there's one other one coming up, but most of them is full band credit, but he gets the sole writer credit for this. Instantly, you get the Nirvana vibe with the tuning and how low it is and heavy it is. I thought I had never heard this song before. I was familiar with a couple of these, like another round I knew, and there was a couple other ones I had heard. Never heard of this song before. It was so like haunting and sad, but also really beautiful. I had a very like, 
visceral reaction to this. I was just like, wow, okay, this is intense. A standout lyric I pulled was, he's never been in love, but he knows just what love is. He says, never mind, and no one speaks. And to me, that was just like such a beautiful, obviously, this is about Kurt. We've Mm. spoken in previous episodes where, especially early in the Foo Fighters career, people thought every song was about Kurt, and very few of them were. So to finally have one where it's like absolutely, obviously, like is... I thought it was just great. And then um, from Foo Archive, a quote about this song, Dave says, I had just moved up to Seattle and joined Nirvana. I moved in with Kurt and his in his dirty little apartment. That was the first song I had ever written on acoustic guitar with vocal. It gives a nod to the past where the rest of the record is about looking ahead. This is another one that makes sense to me that it was written a long time ago. Yeah. Sounds like it, right? Yeah. yeah. Errol, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, very painful. I think the next three songs are really painful, um, and you can hear it in Dave's voice. And I'll cite another lyric or set of lyrics that I think just—it just struck me to my core. You know, he thinks he drinks too much because when he tells his two best friends, "I think I drink too much," it, it really kind of paints a, a picture that um, I don't think Dave knew or anybody really knew Kurt after they exploded. Mm. I think that, I think they were probably closer before Nevermind hits and the whole world is going to see them. Um, so and it was hard for him to uh, connect, and you can feel the pain. Yeah. And I think that uh, you know Kurt was the first person in Dave's life at a very young age that passed away that he had to deal with. Sure. Nobody wants to be in that in that club. Mm. Um, so I think this is similar to Lane Staley of Alice in Chains where you just couldn't you couldn't connect with them you couldn't get them to stop or try and help cuz it maybe they didn't want help or maybe they were just unconnectable mm. and both died uh, a life where you say to yourself man what could have been mm. yeah mm. for sure absolutely for sure i i like this one a lot i didn't read into much but i figured out it was about kurt because of the nevermind line sure but my initial thoughts were that it sounded like a smashing pumpkin song and now it makes more sense to me that it was written so long ago so there's like a little bit of that that vibe i hear that now that you said that i kind of hear that yeah Yeah, like like i could have replaced dave's voice with whatever his face is from smashing pumpkins billy corgan right and i feel like it would have fit um but I like I like this one. It wasn't a standout for me. I think sonically it was kind of whatever, but three minutes only. Yeah, it's a shorter one. It's a shorter <laughs> one. <laughs> All right, track sixteen over and out. Uh, this one features keyboards again, so Rami Jaffe's on this. The intro of this one made me think of Metallica. And I even went through to listen to Metallica to see if there was a specific song. And I couldn't find a, a specific one, but just how low it was and the singular notes, they do that sometimes. So I kind of, I was feeling that. I wrote that the verses feel kind of sad. And even though lyrically the chorus is still not necessarily happy, musically it's a little bit more uplifting, so it kind of gives me like a hopeful feeling, so I kind of liked that little journey. I think his voice is probably the best on this song. I noticed that it's really clear, and there's also like a subtle vibrato coming through that does not, you cannot hear it on other songs. And so I just, like, when I caught it, I was like, this is so exciting. So I thought that was great. I love the chorus. I love how it goes into the bridge. And then uh, a quote from Dave from Foo Archive. He says, I wrote this song five years ago, which 
was approximately 2000. This was from a 2005 interview uh, and demoed it in my basement. It was a, an experiment in doing something more mellow. One of the things I love about the acoustic record is that there are mics in front of instruments and not a lot in between that and the tape. So I thought that was really cool because he really liked the recording aspect as well as mm. the performance and the features and all that stuff. So he liked the stripped down recording aspect. I don't like this song, sorry. Oh, no! <laughs> well, wait, Errol, what do you think? Yeah, no, Errol, you first. Ignore well, me. Well, we know that Errol likes it, but go ahead, Errol. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely love this song, and, and I think you're right, Kate. I think this is his best singing performance oh. on the album. Even when he does the ooh ooh yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just crystal clear. Um, I, I, I think it's also a very sad song. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what he means... Um, by cages and alarms, but it seems pretty clear that if it was a, a relationship, it was completely over. And I, that's where I kind of think of, you know, over and out. Yeah. That he had a really bad experience and he's moving on. Right. And despite the sullenness, it's, it's, it's exquisite. It's uh, beautiful. It, it's, it's a good... I was stuck between... When I, and we'll do it at the end. But when I picked my favorite song, it was between this and another one. And I had a very tough time choosing. But Gabby, you don't like it. I'm sorry. I need to correct my statement. I was reading my notes for the next track. Oh. It's the next <laughs> okay, track I, I don't like. like. What? This oh, one okay, I great. really like. I ha- Same note on the vocals. Um, and I, I enjoyed the outro on this where there's like a repetitive drum fill that goes oh, until cool, the yeah. end. And then it stops. And then he starts to fade out on guitar. Which I really liked. Yeah. I feel like usually you take a repetitive drum fill and you just like straight fade it until it's over. But it, there's something that they like to do where they come back sometimes when you think it's so over. So they do, yes. They do, they it do all come the back, time. yep. <laughs> this was one that I was like, oh, okay, I'll take this five minutes as a win. This was a good five minute song. Okay, like good. It. You have me on an emotional roller coaster. Sorry. Now, okay, so. <laughs> it's track 17 on the men that I'm not into. But oh, continue. no. But I might know, maybe I might have insight as to why. Okay, so tell me. Okay. Yeah. So on the mend, again, featuring keyboards. So we got Rami Jaffe on it. I like that this song feels dark. I don't think it's very, like, there are a lot of choices being made that are not typical for an acoustic song. So I found it to be kind of interesting. Again, kind of pretty and haunting. And Errol, like you said, I feel like these three songs in a row, like, there's just some darkness to them. The guitar solo at the end, I thought was a really nice way to leave the song because I feel like we're starting to go into like a happier place. Uh, lyrically, it makes me think about death and dying. So the, the quote that I pulled was, close your eyes and stay a while. Take me to where you go. Single file, we walk the mile. Who's wandering back home? So creepy. So kind of creepy. But then from Song Facts... Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins overdosed in London in 2001. Dave Grohl sat with him until he came out of the coma. Later, the Foo Fighter frontman wrote this song about the incident, which ended up on this disc. Hawkins had no idea that Grohl no! wrote the song about his drug overdose until Grohl revealed it to him in a 2011 documentary, Back and Forth. The Foo stickman told Q Magazine, quote, I don't want to know that shit. I really don't. Unfortunately, that's going to be a part of my story forever. Something that really happened in my late 20s through being an idiot. Some things are better left unsaid. And as far as I'm concerned, it's sweet, I suppose. But I could have gone my whole life without knowing it. So Taylor was not... I'd be pissed. I don't know if he ever grew to like the song. I think he could probably appreciate, you know, Dave needing to write it. But he was not happy when he found out that's what it was about. Errol, what do you think? Yeah, you know... I. You stole my thunder, oh, so sorry. to speak. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. But I, I had known that this was written about um, Taylor. And, 
you know, since I think it was March 25th of this year, it's been really tough to listen to because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I sat I sat at the end of my table in the in the living room that whole day, that Saturday, and just kept playing the Foo Fighters songs and. Mm-hmm. You know, tears just streaming down my eyes that, you know, Taylor was gone. Yes. And um, it, it, I, you know, I pray for his wife, Allison, and his children, Oliver, Annabelle, and Everlay. You know, hopefully they're doing the best as they can be. Sure. You know, it's so hard to lose the love of your life. And, you know, those guys were brothers from another mm, mother. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen anybody that was so close um, they re- they both remind me of the animal from the Muppets, right? Yeah, Gabby their, has their said enthusiasm that before for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Many times. <laughs> but playing the drums, it was so infectious, you just had to smile. And I think it was just endless infectiousness that just was on both of them. And to have one of them just ripped away from us yeah. um, is, is heartbreaking. And I, I, know, I know Taylor was not happy uh, that Dave had written this song. Because it's crystallized, right? It's 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 written down and it's, it's there forever. forever. Yeah. Sure. Although they haven't played it too many times live, I can see why. I, I mean, if if you know, but what I thought was interesting is that he didn't know until 2011 that it was about him. So I That's wonder wild. if maybe there yeah. was also a little bit of, um, like I don't know, maybe he was hurt that he embarrassment for sure, but maybe also hurt that like. This is how I'm going to find out that this is what this is about. You yeah, know, I don't know. Like, but... My name is on it, and I'm making money off of that too. And should he yeah. not? Should he not have had a say in whether that song comes out or is even recorded right. with him playing drums on it? Right, it's and weird. didn't know what it was about. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. Maybe he didn't want his friend to find out. You know that about what had. I'm happened. sure that whatever. Like, I don't think Dave Grohl was coming from a bad place. You know, no. But you don't like it, Gab. I don't like it. Yeah. It was not for me. I'm sorry. Maybe because I sensed that Taylor felt betrayed. Maybe. Maybe you were like, something's off here. I was in his this corner. That's what's going on. I mean, it's a sad one. It's a it's sad, sad one. Um, yeah. All right. Track 18, Virginia Moon. Uh, this one features Nora Jones. Yes. On vocals and piano. As soon as I heard it, I'm hearing Girl from Impanina, right? Like, how can you not? Absolutely. I think it's super nice to hear a female vocal with his voice. They complement each other very well. I think the song is cute and it's pretty. It's not my favorite. I think of all these songs, this one feels like an exercise, which is like nice and it's a good song, but it doesn't feel genuinely Foo Fighters in any kind of way. It doesn't feel like it belongs on the record. From Foo Archive, I have, it's interesting. I have a quote from Dave and then I have a quote from Nora, which made me laugh. But the quote from Dave says, it needed a female vocal. I had this Nora Jones record and I thought it's her vibe. When I first told everybody, I got the same reaction. Nora Jones, that doesn't make any sense, but I could hear it in my head. After we did it, I thought, this is weird. Should we put it on? And they said, this is exactly why we should put it on. (laughs) So he was like super confident about it. And everyone else was like, that's weird. And then he doubted it later and everyone else said, put it on. So that was cool. But then from song meanings, uh, Nora Jones says, I've been a fan of Dave girls for a long time. He called me and I thought, am I finally going to get to rock? (laughs) And when he sent me the track, it was this beautiful bossa Nova ballad. So it made sense why he called me, but I wasn't going to rock after all. (laughs) (laughs) So I felt kind of bad for Nora. I was like, Oh no, but she does a beautiful job on it. So she was hoping for the remix. She was hoping for for maybe a screaming part. I don't know what she thought was going to happen. That's really funny. 
Um, Errol, what are your thoughts on this one? This one's so different from everything else on here. It's very different, um, but I would still say it's the Foo Fighters. I, I would respectfully disagree. Okay, okay. This to me is this is the Foo Fighters. This is Dave just painting a new portrait. Mm. Um, it just conjures up um, a cozy restaurant, you know, with with my wife. There's a guitarist with a stand-up bass playing this tune in the background. Yeah. While everybody's wondering, is this really Dave Grohl? Right, well, right. Anything he does, it just doesn't surprise me anymore because of his love of any type of music. I think Nora blends in perfectly. Uh, if you recall, they got together in 2016 at the uh, Kennedy Center Honors for Paul McCartney. And they did uh, Maybe I'm Amazed. And it was it was awesome. Oh wow! So they have remained friends, and they continue to do stuff together. And I think their voices blend perfectly. And I wouldn't be surprised at some point they do an album together. That'd be very That'd be cool. Freaking cool! I really like this song a lot. Like out the gate, immediately the bossa nova thing. I was like, I'm all in. Whatever this yeah. is, I'm all yeah. in. <laughs> and then her voice kicked in, and I just, I totally agree, Errol. I think they sound great together. It sound to me, it does still sound like Foo Fighters. I, I didn't, I didn't think I was all of a sudden listening to a Nora Jones album or anything. Okay, because it still is like the instrumentation of them. There's just like a vibe. They just changed the slightly tweaked a genre hmm. a little bit. But I think honestly, most of it is because of Nora's voice. Like I think that she really takes it somewhere. Um, and the har- their harmony, their harmonizing on this song is so, so good. So good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan. But yeah, that song really like woke me up a little bit. I was like, okay, cool. I'm into this. I like where, I like where we're ending here. Yeah. And I mean, it's a good placement too, right? We were saying like we had the three heavy sads. Yeah. And this one's like a little bit like, oh, okay. Like yeah. we're not all heavy It sad. like shifted a change of pace, um, which is hard to do on an acoustic album. You're like, where else can we go here? Right. Um, <laughs> right, right. But yeah, it shifted things a bit. And I think it's so hard not to sing along to. I, I, I'm i almost singing it out yeah. loud now, and I'm just like realizing we're, we're recording. So I, so, yeah, it's yeah, super, so. super catchy. I really, really liked it. All right, we're getting close to the end. Uh, track 19, Cold Day in the Sun. Okay, so this one, Taylor Hawkins is the sole writing credit. Uh, it does feature Rami Jaffe on keyboard. Gabby, I don't know if you remember when we did the episode with Sean, episode three, he was talking about when you listen and how they were playing around on um, the third album with like panning left and right. So on this one, I wrote down Sean was right. It comes in on the right headphone and after a couple seconds, everything else comes in on the left. So I was having a moment. Yeah. So if you listen to it with headphones, you have a different experience, which I thought was a really interesting choice. As far as Hawkins vocals, the first time I listened to this song I was like I don't like what's happening here this song is weird but the second time I really listened and I feel like his vocals have a really interesting mix of classic rock but also I heard Kurt Cobain and some of the notes where he was like pressing a little harder his voice is not as strong as Dave's I don't like it nearly as much as Dave's but I was kind of pleasantly surprised I really love the harmonies on the chorus I thought they were super great I like that it's an upbeat song. It feels like a really good driving song. Made me think of the 90s. And for some reason, I wrote down, it has a Sister Hazel kind of vibe to it. I was kind of thinking about oh, like those that. like 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there was just something there. I was like, okay. I wrote that I didn't have any standout lyrics, but as I was reading them, 
if I didn't know that Hawkins wrote it, I would have assumed that Dave did. I think lyrically, they're kind of in tune with each other. Mm. But I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. I didn't love it, but I was like, I think I liked it more than I initially did when I first listened. Errol, what do you think? Uh, I, I loved it. Uh, years ago, my wife and the kids, we would go up to Cape Cod. So what I did was I downloaded the album to my iPod, and I said, the first day on the beach, I'm going to go walking along. Mm. And I'm listening to track, you know, this, this too, and I'm loving everything. And all of a sudden, I hear Cold Day in the Sun. And I'm thinking to myself, is this Dave's voice? Right. Like, this, this doesn't sound like Dave. And then when the chorus kicked in, I'm like, this is definitely not Dave. So when I got back home, you know, I grabbed the CD notes and saw that it was Taylor. And it just, it, it never, it never ceases to amaze me how they just come up with these uh, musical surprises. Mm. I conjured back to the Eagles or even Alice in Chains uh, when they did that acoustic song and I, I can't remember the name of that song but that's what it reminded me of okay I think this is the you know most people believe that this is the best song on this too because oh, it's upbeat wow. okay um, I would not I would not argue against it but I think each song stands on its own merits mm. and it just right it's in the ear of the beholder right right I think it's probably about a relationship that Taylor had in his life that would seem to be a little bit fractured mm. I, I think you know, he did a nice job, and they, they gave him a chance again to sing on Concrete and Gold. So, yeah. Uh, nice, nice job. I really like this. I, I, I took me a minute to realize it was a different vocalist at first. It clearly becomes a different different vocalist after, yeah. like, 30 seconds. <laughs> at first, I right. thought it was, like, a lo-fi demo version of a song. Oh, okay. And I was yeah. like, this is an interesting song to add to this album and then i realized oh no it's just taylor like this is just an entirely different it's a different person different voice and i think also sonically like slight departure from like acoustic it's a little bit rockier which i wasn't expecting on the back half of this album but i really liked it and i thought like coming after virginia moon i was like okay like i think we're ending like we're, we're still is not very vibey even though it's beautiful mm-hmm. like I, it felt like we're wrapping up to end in a different way which uh, I'm, I was kind of into so I really like this one okay alright nice um, alright we're here track 20 Razor Razor this one Dave has the sole writing credit and it features Josh Home on rhythm guitar he is the uh, Queens of the Stone Age guy I think this was a great choice for a closer it feels like the end it feels different but not in a negative way I think there are lots of, I read a ton of fan theories. Lyrically, this was super, super heavy, and I was really trying to, like, map out what we were talking about. A lot of the fan theories seem to think this song is about self-harm or suicide. Some people think it might be about a toxic lover or relationship. But I have a quote from Dave. It doesn't necessarily clarify much, but he says, Before I recorded it, I played at a tsunami benefit in L.A. I sat up all night trying to write the song, and it didn't work. I woke up early and started writing lyrics and got it right as the car was coming to pick me up. I was up in the dressing room practicing and Josh and I were sharing a room. I said, there's a second guitar part harmony in this song. Try it out. We played it and I said, when I record it, you should come down and play it with me. Uh, And so that's how that happened. The guy just happened to be in the room with him. So he was like, oh, play this right now. But typical Dave, like the song wasn't written until like the 11th hour. And then he goes and performs this amazing song. So I was like, wow, what is it like to be that gifted, Dave? I don't know. (laughs) This is my second favorite uh, tune on the album. Okay. I never really wanted this song to end. 
And when I did my Foo Fighters top 10, my oldest son had given me a look like, what about Razor? Oh. You, you always talk about Razor. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, to me, it's almost like a, like a finger ex- exercise, mm. sort of like Dust in the Wind with Kansas, mm-hmm. where you just have that constant turning of the acoustic guitar, yeah. which it just mesmerizes you. I refuse to believe that it deals with suicide mm-hmm. because it doesn't seem to be his demeanor. He's just so full of life yeah. all the time. That I just I, I can't believe that it's it deals with suicide. Um, I agree. So to me, this is this is a beautiful song to end this to. I couldn't have thought of a better song to end this. I totally agree. I also don't think this is about suicide. I just don't think that's Dave's style. It's not. I don't think it so, is. And like, if if there was one about suicide, he wouldn't name it Razor. Like, I just right. think it's, <laughs> it's clearly a metaphor. Like, he's just a classier man than that yeah yeah but i really like this i i love like like how it built i love the there's like uh, like battling acoustic guitars almost in the outro which like i love i I thought it was a great way to end the album and like i definitely prefer this second half of in your honor to the first half like no doubt okay no maybe because of the variety yeah, I think maybe, but there was something about the first half that just felt like overly produced to me, and it was like mm. like cock rock jams, and I was like, this feels weird. Like I didn't, right. I didn't feel right. genuine to me, whereas this second half feels a little more genuine. All right. Well, should we do favorites, least favorites, and underdog picks? We got to do it. Kate, what's your favorite? What's your least favorite? What's your underdog? All right. So for my favorite, I was having a very tough time deciding between another round and over and out. And even this afternoon, like I listened to both of them like a second or third time and I have to go with another round. I think for me, it's just like the time change of it. And I, it's so closely tied to the vibe of album two that that's mm. the one for me. My least favorite was still, I think, because it, it was just like a weird opener. I don't hate it, but I just think of this group. It's probably not. It's just not my favorite. Mm. And then Underdog, I put Friend of a Friend. I just instantly felt that emotion. I had never heard the song before, and it stuck with me. So that's my Underdog pick. All right. Errol, what about you? Okay, well, I have no least favorites. So (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't be in that category. It's just... Yeah, they're all so. As mentioned, you know, my two favorite um, is um, "What If I Do." What if I do? Yeah. Okay. What if I do is my favorite, and then "Razor" is my second. Mm. Uh, I think the is it "Underdog." Uh, yeah. Is that what you mentioned. Yeah. Yep. I w- I would say it's a song with um, what's her name? Oh, Virginia, Virginia Moon. Moon. I would yeah. say Virginia Moon is the underdog here because. You know, first you have a guest, and it's female, and it's totally different. Mm. But I still think it fits into the Foo Fighter vibe, despite maybe the bossing over sound. Right, I, I right. I just think this this song, to me on the track, was probably the hardest for them to maybe include mm. because of the way it's structured. But knowing how good friends he is with her, it was definitely going on Yeah. There. I'm a hybrid of both of you. My favorite is Another Round. Okay. I, I think he sounds great. I, I just really like that song structurally. It's It keeps me hooked for the whole time. Uh, my underdog is also Virginia Moon. Because I think, Ooh, so you know, you're like 50-50 right yeah, now. Yeah, I just think like it feels like an, like it should be an outlier, but it's definitely not. Um, and I think Nora Jones like took that song to the next level. And I'm sorry, Errol, my least favorite is What If I Do? I still don't know what happened. Oh, no, complete minutes. opposite. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
You were aligned and then you were not at all aligned. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. Amazing. I guess we differed there. No, no, no problem. It's, it's again, it's in, in the ear. Of the totally. Holder. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right. Well, any closing thoughts and like Gabby, do you have closing thoughts about the album as a whole? Um, you know, I, I think the Foo Fighters for me at this point, their earlier albums are their stronger albums, but we're so we're like not far enough in mm. I, as, as a whole. I'm not a fan of this album based on the previous albums. Um, okay. But I think there's some really great songs on here that are stand out amongst their whole catalog that we've heard up to date. For sure. Errol, how about you? I mean, I know this, that this album changed your life, right? So. Yeah, this, this sits on top for me. Okay. Um, out of their whole catalog and I have every one of their albums. Um, I think what, what struck me was the sudden change mm. after seeing them for so many years where it was just all high energy and screaming, and I don't know how he he saved you know saved his voice after all yeah. these years with all the screaming that he had done. For real, and to produce an album like this, um, sort of like when Zeppelin on Physical Graffiti uh, did Boogie with Stew or Black Country Woman, mm. that's what struck me. It was like that's the Zeppelin, and I always say the Mighty Led Zeppelin. If you look yeah. at my blog, it's always the Mighty Led Zeppelin. <laughs> right. Um, that's what struck me about it is how different. But beautiful it was. Mm. Robert Plant could sing "Thank You" and then go right to "Whole Lot of Love." Right, right. That's and true. Dave, Dave could sing "My Hero" and then go to Virginia Moon. Yeah, who does that? And you know, and I'll give one last one last story, and it's in the book. Foo Fighters were asked to play on the Ozfest. Mm-hmm. They they had to actually follow Pantera, mm. which nobody in the world can follow Pantera. Right. Yeah. Um, and their music is totally different. Mm. But again, they got up there, they played their songs, and they got the head nods. Mm. You know, nice job. And for me, you do you do the heavy stuff that he did, including his side project for Probot, but then you turn on the dime and you produce this album, which just, it's so beautiful that I can listen to every song day after day. It, wow. it never sounds old. Wow. I love that. I- that's how I am with Taylor I, yeah. Swift, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> little different. Little different. But I, I, especially in having this discussion with you, Errol, I really didn't, like, I knew that he loved Led Zeppelin, but now thinking about that, the graffiti album and this, there are a lot of parallels. And I will say, I think what I took away from this, I like the acoustic disc way more than I thought that I would. I was very nervous before we listened to it because I love the color and the shape. Like, I'm into the heavy stuff. Um, I also love the original, the first Foo Fighters album. Love that one. So I didn't know what to expect, but I will say I do think this is such a testament to them just being good songwriters. Yeah. The ability to go back and forth and just the small decisions they made on this, because it could have just been, you know, 10 mediocre acoustic songs, right? But some of these are just stand out even better than some of the tracks on album too. So... I was really impressed. I was really impressed. I'm almost now nervous to get to the next album because I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to go into now. So so it leaves me guessing, which I guess is a good thing. I guess yeah, that's a good that's thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. One last thing I'll say. I think Dave's greatest asset is that he's a fan. Yeah. Like, his his love of his craft just never ends. To, to me... This is not a job for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is what he was. This is what he was meant to do. Um, and my entire life, I wanted to be three people. I wanted to be Lou Graham from Farnham. Mm-hmm. 
I wanted to be Chris Robinson from the Black Crows mm. for like a tour. Right. And the last 25 years, I've wanted to be Dave Grohl. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, he's just, and nothing away from the rest of the band members because the unit is spectacular. Yeah, sure. And when you sure. see them in concert, um, they conjure up the old days of Van Halen with Diamond Dave. I mean, they, yeah. they just know how to run a crowd. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, Errol, thank you so much for joining us for this. This was fun. Thank you very much for inviting me. I I was totally shocked. I was glad to do it. Hopefully, I didn't sound too uh, choppy. But uh, well, no, we'll you sound see. great. I think you sound great. And uh, you came through yeah, great. You, you're you'll be immortalized on the internet forever in a uh, yeah. an audio <laughs> format. So it'll be great. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be great. Errol, real quick, plug your son's album. It just came out. What's it called? Oh yeah, what's it called? I love you, but. By Nick Arney. I listened to it. It sounds great. So it's on Spotify. Find it. Uh, he did a great job. It sounds beautiful. And I'm doing a review because what I've done on my blog is I've never put my last name. Okay. Um, on So if you do a search for me for my first and last name, you will not find Errol's Weekly. Okay. So I, I rarely like mention names, but I had to do a review of his album. I'm like... Yeah. Not just because I'm his dad. Right, right. It's because I'm a fan of music, and it's good. It is good. I'm going to check it out. school. It's it's ten songs. Yeah. You could just picture side one, one to five. Yeah. Side two, six to ten, and the the CD is 36 minutes. Yeah, that's great. You can't beat it. It's a solid listen. There's no reason to not listen with those stats. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right, Errol. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, ladies. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks to the band Above the Moon for writing and recording our theme song. You can find them on Instagram at Above the Moon Music or on their website, AboveTheMoonMusic.com. If you enjoyed listening, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite platform. And if you really enjoyed listening, leave us a like, rate us, or review us so more people can find us. You can keep up with news about new episodes on Instagram at Minor Notes Podcast or email us, MinorNotesPodcast at gmail.com. Minor Notes is a finally cool production. Next episode, we'll be discussing the Foo Fighters' sixth studio album, Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace. One, two, three.